Hey friends, so this is the first episode of this year where we talk about tech careers. And today I have an AWS instructor. That's how I met him. And we have been tweeting a lot at each other and finally had the chance to talk to him today. And he, you might see him posting a lot of Dinosaur or Jurassic Park tweets. He's none other than CloudBot. He recently joined AWS as a senior technical trainer. So that's amazing. Please join me in welcoming CloudBot. Hey, Bot. Hey, Rashad. How's it going? Oh, I'm great. Good to see you. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. So yeah, as I was telling the audience, it's it's been a while that I wanted to talk to you. And this, this is finally happening. And I'm <laughs> sure you might. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you might be busy with starting the new role, but yeah, how's how's been AWS treating you? Oh, it's been great. Um, really a culmination of everything I've been working towards. Uh, a great training organization to be a part of. I'm on the training and certification team. So that's different than our product and service divisions and professional services. Uh, smaller team, but you know, AWS is an ecosystem within the Amazon ecosystem. So it's um, it's interesting. It was a large sell for me to try to move in there and feel like I was going to be able to make a difference. Um, but I'm reaching more of the people that I want to reach much broader scale. And I have a lot, a lot better resources overall for the training effort. So I, it feels like a good combination. And they, they seem to really like me and my style and what I'm doing and where I go. I, I like to get into what I call edutainment and they really seem uh, interested in that, keeping it fun, high energy. Uh, and they get me uh, back in the classroom. So I'm working with live students nice. again, and that was something that I missed from the pre-recorded video days. Yep. No, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I think yeah, I, your your way of teaching, like I find it really creative. Um, not only from like, like I've seen some amazing teachers, but yeah, yours is like it's it's entertaining and it's it's not like <laughs> I'm listening to a lecture. But yeah, that that is part of the reason that I have gone through some of your CBT nuggets videos and <laughs> also your YouTube. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know how how you kind of started in tech, but I, it's, it seems like you, you have a lot of experience, not only um, with like networking and also I know you have been doing consulting for a while, almost like 10 years now. And like, how, how did you start your journey? Like, was it through traditional education? You went to college or was it just figuring stuff out as you were getting into tech? Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And I know a lot of people that are getting into IT are interested in like what those pads look like. How does someone end up as a senior trainer at a major cloud provider like AWS? Um, sure. So my story really starts back. Uh, I worked for my dad for a long time as a kid growing up doing construction. Uh, mm -hmm. I worked on some like outdoor jobs, doing a lot of roofing and like really kind of blue collar labor yep. jobs. I did that all through high school. Um, I was a gamer. I, I liked playing things like EverQuest and we did a lot of like deathmatch stuff, but I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was just playing games. It was just kind of a fun thing to do. But um, when I got out of high school, I met a particular friend who got me into building PCs and really understanding more of the tech that was happening underneath of it. Uh, and for me, like the similarities between like working on cars and building homes and building PCs, like it just, it made sense and stuff was yeah. really clicking. So I also knew that there was a lot of tech work and I was just generically saying tech work mm -hmm. at the time. You know, like a lot of people are saying, I wanted to get into IT. 
So fast forward a little bit, and I went to an accelerated tech program at a college in my hometown in Maryland. And this was a, like an 18-month program. So really accelerated. It was an associate's program. Okay. Um, but not like a traditional college experience. I was very much like working and going mm -hmm. to classes in the evening. Um, but it was good. They, they gave me the ability to move as fast as I wanted, which I really valued out of that program. I wanted to be able to you know, really get a good return on what I was putting my time in. I was working, you know, crazy hours working during the day and then doing four or five hours of classes at night. So I wanted to really get that in and get out of there as quickly as I could just to, I just was sensitive that the cost to, mm -hmm. I didn't want to end up with a lot of student loans. I know that that is a huge concern for a lot of folks oh, that are, sure. you know, developing this. You don't, you want to get a good return without a huge investment and that trade-off can be awkward to strike. So I have an associate's in applied technical uh, networking is what the, nice. the term is. So computer science, applied networking is what it was. Um, the school I was at only had two programs. They had a computer networking and a computer development. Those are the two classes that they oh, kind okay. of offered. Yeah. And one was like networking was technically more like systems administration. So I left with uh, my MCP. I was Microsoft certified. I also left with my um, network plus and my A plus from CompTIA. So those were like real world certs that I could go and yeah. put to work for an employer. One of the last things I'd bring up about that experience was that this, um, I was concerned about going to a university and then leaving and not being able to find a job. So this, this company or this college in particular helped me with some placement opportunities, nice. which was, um, which is something I would really encourage people to look for If you're going to invest, mm -hmm. make sure that they can help you get the timeline you want the expense, and then consider too, like what sort of placement opportunities mm -hmm. does that school have? What sort of network do they have built? Because that, that regional, can go a long yeah. way. No, yeah. Sure. And yeah. regional things too. And that, and this is something too, for a lot of folks that are getting into tech careers is thinking like, am I living in a place in the world or in the U S or in Europe mm -hmm. or abroad uh, that has employers that will seek these skill sets or what skills do they want? Um, because keep in mind, if you're going to drive, you need to find these employers. You want to be able to drive to work mm -hmm. in your area and not have to move. Yep. But on the other side, if you can relocate, well, there's a whole bunch of new opportunities available. So this was uh, kind of an interesting trade-off to look at. Mm -hmm. So they had good placement opportunities. I ended up not taking advantage of that. <laughs> I ended oh, up leaving okay. and going out west, uh, out to Oregon. Um, so I, I took a big road trip right after college um, and ended up landing a job out West for a car dealership. So this was a help desk job. Uh, it was my first IT job. And I really humbly went in there and was like, you know, I have these certs. I don't have any experience, but I went to school, you know, and I'm a hard worker, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I had to sell myself into it because I really wasn't, I didn't have the tech experience and I wanted to learn from them. So they, they put me in there and that was a large enterprise. It was a Windows domain. We had a whole bunch of systems, networking, Windows servers. We had um, the actual, like the physical network part of it too. Um, but as a car dealership, we had a like a global, uh, well, I guess not global, US-based footprint. So we had dealerships all over the country, which was an interesting mess around wide area networking. So I kind of mm -hmm. started doing more and more of that and realized that I liked data networking quite a bit. Nice. Um, fast forward a little bit further, we installed a voice over IP telephony system. Uh, and I remember these guys coming in there with their polos on and these were the consultants and they, they were talking about these crazy plans and building things and making recommendations. Uh, and I was hooked. I was like, I want to go do whatever they're doing. And I followed them around, like, like literally followed them around throughout wow. the day. 
<laughs> as much yeah. as I could. Uh, and when you know, by the time they were done with the the deployment part of it, they were looking to transition management, and I was there. They're like, you should have that guy manage it for you. So, um, big tip out there: make sure if you see something cool going on, mm -hmm. like just just inject yourself into it and try be there. And before you know it, you could end up being the persons that are that are skillful about it and could take on those positions. So that was a big win for me. Uh, became awesome. an IP telephony person. That was Cisco. It was all Cisco stuff back then. Um, awesome awesome yeah no i think you shared a great tip of just like being there and like being present i know it, it can be hard now especially with two years of lockdown now and people working from home like i miss i miss those days where you would be like either making coffee in the kitchen or you were um, like having water somewhere and you listen someone talking something interesting and i would be like oh tell me more about it right yeah. and i think yeah uh like people who are starting out are really missing on that opportunity. But the the upside that I see is now you can inv be involved in a lot of like remote communities, which I think is only possible because of COVID. Like I remember yeah. back in 2019, like I wanted to be part of such communities, but the only thing is you needed to be in person to attend those events. There would be speakers, but the events were not like online and you couldn't attend them. You can't be a speaker at such events. There were some that were remote, but I think that like the whole COVID situation just made it easier for people around the world to connect. Um, but yeah, no, I think that is, that is a really great story. Like I, I didn't know uh, that you started out in help desk. And I just also wanted to point out was the certifications like the CCNA and A plus part of the curriculum. Yeah. So when I left, um, they were specifically interested. This was at the tech school that I went to where they wanted you to have certifications and it was part of your objective. So the net plus and a plus were two that I actually had to take mm -hmm. as a part of going through the program. Okay. Um, yeah. And looking back on it now, like, uh, it was pretty exceptional at the time. There weren't as many schools that pushed that sort of career yeah. certification. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to age myself, but that was like 18 years ago now that I did that, but it really, it has changed quite a bit since then. And now you have even programs like AWS's TechU program. Oh, yes. We're actively, you know, pushing the software training into the uh, into the curriculum itself. And they're mm -hmm. leaving certified, certainly skilled and ready to work on these, you know, enterprise class infrastructures. Um, so yes, but the other one too, the Microsoft certification was mm -hmm. really the one that got me that gig, that first one. I was supporting desktops. And, and so at the time it was Windows XP, which was, you know, a fantastic OS. It was, it had a lot of great longevity, mm -hmm. uh, but that really landed it for me. And I think what I want people to take away from that is that if I had planned on it, I would have looked at that employer and said, oh, look, their help desk positions are supporting, you know, Windows 2000 and Windows XP in environments. And I would have said, okay, well, if I want to get those positions, those are the sorts of skills that I have uh, would need yeah. to acquire to become desirable for them. So even if I know I'm a nice person and I can go in there and be nice during the interview and do those things, uh, getting those check boxes marked in the right ways uh, got me through the, you know, the initial hire mm -hmm. process, the vetting, and then sure. got me to the point where I could, you know, actually learn those skills. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the people that were on the team, were actively pursuing those certifications once I got inside. So that was interesting mm -hmm. to be, it was kind of a first chance to start thinking about how to help grow your other team members and help them level up and how that helped the whole team. No, for um, sure. And I think, yeah, it gives you that 
little edge, right? Especially when you're looking for your first job, having those certificates and not only just like, don't get it just to get those certificates, like make sure you have the underlying knowledge because again, you will be asked in the interview, right? And you have to do a job at the end. Um, <laughs> but I think that that makes you kind of stand out, um, especially especially when you just like are a fresh graduate, either from college or a complete like four year degree. But yeah, no, that is that is really interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. And when you're going into those processes there, it's important to help frame your efforts that you've just gone through in a way that shows that <clears throat> it wasn't just time that was spent, but that uh, that you were able to like articulate the learning experience yeah. for you and how that worked. I think that that speaks a lot to your ability to not only like integrate with the team, because you're going to be working with people on the team. At least I remember jobs used to have people we used to see each other. <laughs> um, but it also speaks to your ability to consume and process training. Oh, for sure. and, mm -hmm. and I mean, this this industry does not sit still. You're going to be continually upskilling for the exhaustive, like to the whole length of it. So developing those skills early on and getting onto these teams, you begin realizing just what I mean by that. You start seeing how others are struggling with mm. learning or certification. Um, and I think it does help put you in a position where you can recognize what your own skills are and sell them. And that's tough. It's hard to be a salesperson for yourself. I'll tell you, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to get in there and like, rah, for, Advocate for yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So finding a way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you were young, like I, I know, like I couldn't, it's not like couldn't speak up for myself, but it's like, it's, it's hard to, um, like you said, sell yourself and be like, Hey, I know this, yeah. this and be confident about it. I, I know that can be hard. Um, but yeah, no, that is that is really interesting. And I think it's it's a pretty similar story um, when it comes to me joining, like getting into help desk and then transitioning to a cloud engineering role. I think I was just present at the right time. I had the right mentors and I was like, okay, I what is this cloud? Like I want to learn. And like people started hyping it up. They were like, this is the next big thing. Make sure to get on this wagon, right? And I didn't want to miss that opportunity. And I'm 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 grateful that I that I like grabbed it and was mentored by right people. And I that's how I landed my cloud engineering role. But yeah, so how now I wanna so this is interesting now because now I wanna know how you kind of pivoted towards training and like teaching other people about tech because sure. until now you're you're still like deep into networking you're doing network admin stuff for this company right yeah yeah so um one thing that became clear to me as i was moving through those early days was that i was doing things others weren't and i was learning things that others weren't mm -hmm. and interested mm -hmm. in things and just that that simple dynamic of being the one who's thirsty to go and and, and dig into it uh, it started bubbling up really quickly. And then the flip side of it was being able to like start designing some process improvement within the team. Just, and we were help desk, there was limited things that I could do, but coming up with better ways to track for recurring problems, like chronic mm -hmm. issues, um, just little bits like that began to come together where I realized that there was more to be done than just responding to everybody else's work. If you could create changes in your environment and changes in your workplace, uh, that was really impactful. So that led me down the path of being interested in this. Now, it wouldn't be until my next job that I really found out that you could be a trainer. I didn't even think about it. Uh, honestly, 
up to that point, I'd only ever had college professors that taught me anything yep. like that or work peers. Mm-hmm. And those relationships were very different, very different between the two. <laughs> but sure. when I got to my next job, I was still doing telephony. I became a network administrator mm-hmm. and I actually ran both the operations and development side of the house. So this was literally DevOps before we ever called it that. Called I was, yeah. yeah, I was supporting our source control system, our testing infrastructure, um, all the automation rigging to move things back and forth, our artifact repositories, uh, mm-hmm. and learning a bunch about Linux at the time. That was that was when I really got blown away. That other shop was largely Windows mm-hmm. and Cisco. Mm-hmm. But moving to this new position, I had to do, I, I needed to learn and was like incentivized to learn a lot more Linux. And I was working with developers who would just, you know, blow your mind when you'd go to sit yeah. with them at their desk for a minute. And there's like yep. all these monitors. <laughs> it's like, what what are you doing? Oh, that's just this with awk and said and all these mm-hmm. other crazy commands. So uh, I just sponged off of my development team and I learned so much um, from a couple of particular people. Anyways, I went to a training session that the company paid us for. It was for global knowledge. This was this has been about 10 years ago now. Um, and uh, I was like, holy cow, I had no idea that this was a job people could do. And I and I talked to the trainer and I was like, this is really cool. How could I how could I get into this? Mm-hmm. And they he was like, you know, you were good in class. He's like, you should just send me your resume if you're interested in it. Nice. Uh, and you you consider yourself outgoing and you would want to be in front of a group of people doing that, then you should come apply. So again, I, I saw a thing. It looked cool. <laughs> I asked, how do I yep. do that? And and that was uh, beyond that. That was it. Within six months, I, I left that company um, and I went to Global Knowledge and I started being a contract trainer for them, which was technically a self-employed thing too. So I didn't okay. just leave. I actually left a salaried position to become a contractor. And that was... Mm-hmm. That was a wild shift. There was a sales funnel that I had to keep my eye on. I was always looking out, you know, a month, two months, three mm-hmm. months in advance. And like, there's a gap and that means I'm not getting paid and I need to find another class. So that was, that was interesting. That was really when the consulting began for me, I started trying to fill those gaps in. So working for local employers, I did some like over the evening, like PC deployments, just setting up people's workstations for mm-hmm. them because they only needed, they needed someone that they could turn loose in the room who wasn't going to break a bunch of stuff, like to just go plug everything in, boot all the OSs up, check the images are loaded. So I started picking up other little gigs like that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the big things too, is I I never left most of my employers. I didn't leave in a bad place. And I even still work for that, that one IT shop out in Oregon. Occasionally they still call me back and I still consult for them. Occasionally it's been almost a 10 year working relationship with them, but that was the flexibility that training and consulting got me thinking about and ultimately led me to uh, some of the cloud stuff that I'm doing now. Um, nice. The final part, though, was like, I can't stress it enough, friends. You're going to hear people say, you know, go after things like a solutions architecting certification. I think those are incredible certs as a learning path. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, architecting is one of the more complex, diverse fields to get into. And it's hard to go just from the cert to being a truly, you know, a valuable architect that has enough breadth and depth to, to really do that job. Mm-hmm. So that's a weird exchange, but I feel fortunate. I got to do a lot of that work across those different areas. So when I got into to the, the AWS world and started studying for their certs, it all made sense. And I realized what they were talking about and how, yep. how much breadth I'd had. So I really encourage you to find a place where you can work across different texts like that. 
Um, and keep in mind that being a cloud architect may not be like this initial step. It might be the step after this first step. And you want to mm. maybe build some of the other skills along the way. It's just tricky. I know the certs are one thing, but then the job's another. So, Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. tricky. Balance the strike. Especially when, when like, it, I don't know, I think they're called solutions architect across uh, different like cloud providers, whether it be yeah. AWS or Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud. But I, that's what I feel when, even if you look up the job posting, like you need, you need experience <laughs> with architecting, right? Because like I put it this way, there is no better way to learn once you're like building it like live and you're trying to implement it to a, to a, like a set of customers. You cannot do that even with like certification because you'll, maybe you're de developing a demo app for your blog, let's say, but sure. you, that blog is not being visited by millions of users a day, right? So your 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 solutions that you will be picking are not as complex as they might be when you're in a like a real job, right? And yeah. that's why I feel like yeah, you need you need some sort of experience, especially with different tech stacks and different solutions that you can come up with for the same problem, maybe. Yeah, because sure. there's a, there's a ton of ways you can do certain things, and yeah. just having that having that perspective, I think changes everything and you, you may succeed in, in your solutions architect role. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, <clears throat> I guess whenever I say things like that, my disclaimer would be that I, if I were to summarize the five big areas of tech that made me feel like I could do the architecting gig in the right ways. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, number one first was learning Windows domains. Just the problems that having NTLM and Kerberos authentication happening in a Microsoft Windows domain uh, taught me a lot about the client server model, mm -hmm. taught me a lot about authentication realms, what it means to be an app that lives within like a realm like that, that somebody yep. else has built for you. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of having, you know, multiple identities throughout the organization, all of that concept, service accounts versus personal accounts versus mm -hmm. you know, some sort of automation process. Uh, seeing all that in action uh, was a huge skill that I continued to use. Uh, AD is Active Directory is just so widely deployed that it is going to be the directory service. You're mm -hmm. going to run into it at some point. So if you can learn that, I'm not telling you to become an MCSE or a server administrator, but I am saying that working in those environments and learning those uh, patterns will go a long way. Mm -hmm. After that was learning how to make a Linux do some of the most basic things. So you're thinking about running workloads, you're getting them integrated with another domain, like a Windows domain. Um, and just seeing open source software used in a production way was a big mm -hmm. part for me. Um, learning about package management, deployment, um, the processes of supporting a Linux-based workload, that, that was hugely beneficial for me. The third one was virtualization. Uh, I got started on VMware originally, um, but once I began developing, uh, we even built our own storage area network. That was one project that we did where we actually used NFS to build it. Mm -hmm. Now it wasn't a great project at the time, it solved our issues, but you know, eventually we outgrew it. But learning that virtualization principle of local and direct abstracted systems, that, those were really, really powerful. Um, after that, it was data. Data, data, data patterns, like storing things in databases, restoring them, thinking about messaging, queuing, brokering mm -hmm. of messages, seeing those patterns in work uh, and realizing how many different problems in IT are based on where the data comes from, what you do to it and where you leave it like that. Mm -hmm. That basic, like uh, sometimes you'll hear them call ETL, extract, transform yep. loads. Sometimes you'll see that principle, but 
establishing those data patterns really, really was super helpful for me as well. Um, and then the last one is just working with applications and understanding mm -hmm. what it means to be a web service, to be an API, to be tied to somebody else's interface and schemas and, and just seeing some of those pieces come together. Um, so when people ask me, what's, you know, what should I learn to become an architect? I'm like, well, these are great certs, but these are the skills that I would, these are the ones that benefited me the most. The most, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Networking was the other one. I think I skipped that. <laughs> but understanding basic TCP IP, you don't need to know, you don't need to be a CCIE, but you should understand how modern traffic moves through networks. Um, and I think that those, so can you get it from one cert? No, you can't. But uh, it is a good roadmap for where to go. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of value in having a in having a roadmap like that. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. No, those are some, some great tips. I, I, that's, it, it has been brought up a lot of times, especially now, like since last year, because people are transitioning uh, yeah. from like accounting or doctors. Um, so non-tech people that are trying to enter the tech space and people always ask me like, oh, I, I did my solutions architect uh, associate cert. Like how do how do I get a role at AWS or any of the companies basically without having yeah. that kind of experience? And that's what I say is like it's it's hard because you cannot demonstrate. Again, going back to the point where like <laughs> live production apps can like those type of especially like with AD like you said. So mm -hmm. AD is something that you only learn and experiment with when it's deployed in a customer, in a, in like a. <laughs> it's hard to mock it up. It's exactly, really hard right? to do that. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to do that. <laughs> and it can get expensive too. Like if you, if you try to build it at home, oh, sure. things like that. And especially if you're starting out, it's, it's hard to build those kind of labs at home. So yeah, like find a job maybe at a junior level, but yeah, look out for opportunities where you can learn and like Bot said, and I have myself also had great peers with the, within development team, um, within the ops team where I could have gone and learned. So look out for those opportunities. And yeah, I think that'll set you for like a really solid path. No, great tips. Yeah. Well, you know, and the way you just described that, um, what people are always saying, I want to get into the cloud. I want to get into the cloud. I think you really need to carefully define what that means to you hmm. because yeah. if you're talking about working for Google Azure AWS, that's they're going to hire you for one of two different reasons. Either you have a deep professional expertise mm -hmm. that's valuable to them, or you're really the right kind of person in the right scenario for them to train and develop in those ways. And so I think you really need to be careful to decide that you're not pursuing the deep expertise roles when you don't possess that. I think that's mm -hmm. setting yourself up for some disappointment on it. So I know that's a little obtuse, but it really changes the way that I go into these interviews. Um, when AWS hired me this last round, uh, mm -hmm. I really went in there like, you know, I kind of do things my way and this is how I do it. And I like it this way. I wore my cowboy hat to all my job interviews and I was like, you know, they're going to they're going to either love this or they're going to hate it. It's either yep. going to be a great fit or not. Um, I knew I had the expertise, but I also was going to be kind of uncompromising about what I wanted to get out of the mm -hmm. position. I think that that speaks to like career maturity, but I just want people to recognize that it really is what you want. And you don't have to have a job in the cloud with AWS, Azure or Google. There's still a whole ecosystem of people that use those services. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. that you could be working with. So set your sights on regional opportunities, decide if relocation's an opportunity, um, and then decide how you're going to approach it. Are you going to approach it as I'm the person you want on your team because of these reasons, or I have this deep technical expertise? And just knowing where your strengths lie there, um, I think is going to make a big sure. difference <laughs> than, than just saying, I want to get into the cloud, yeah. get some specific roles and mm-hmm. model your training after that. Yeah, no, that is a great tip. I think... Um... I, me and Gwen, we were recently talking about this, and I think niching down is there needs to be that now yeah. because of how diverse and how big cloud can get, especially like I know maybe 10 years ago or 80 years ago, it was like, okay, there are like 10 services that are available uh, <laughs> from like, okay, you can have basic VPC setup and you get you can rent VMs and you sure. structure them together to make your I don't know, two tier, three tier uh, web app or whatever. But now it's, they're like 200 plus services and (laughs) you need to make sure like, you cannot be expert in all of those, but make sure whatever interests you, but you have to got a niche down and say like, okay, this is my strength and this is why you should hire me. But yeah, no, amazing, amazing tips there. and just looking back at it, like how how your experience has been in tech so far, because I, even though I've only been in tech for like four years, I've had my, I would say wins and ups, uh, up moments, yeah. but I definitely have had times where I was like, oh no, this <laughs> tech is <laughs> mess. I, I, I need to quit this. Um, and I'm sure yeah. you might have had those moments too. Um, but yeah, what, what keeps you going and like how, how your journey has been so far? Sure. Well, I will say I definitely, I've, I've had some, some duress through some employers Mm -hmm. over the years. A lot of the stuff that I would characterize as, as not overly positive experiences were, they were team-based problems. They were the people that I worked with. There was the company culture. I mean, I worked in an auto dealership. I mean, it's pretty cutthroat. I mean, this is car sales. It's not... Mm -hmm. They would not have taken Cloudbart. I tell you what, they would never have hired Cloudbart. But back in the day when I was wearing my tie and, you know, doing my thing, I was fitting myself into their mold and it was fine. You know, you have to kind of recognize that I didn't think that was where I wanted to be. It was it was a necessary step to move further through. Um, I would really encourage people to figure out how to talk to management. I don't I don't know exactly how to describe that, but being able to be someone who if you're to to develop the skill of talking to your immediate peers, your supervisors and their supervisors, the better that you can address that, the better you're going to do all across the board. I I think that things really changed for me. uh, And I, there's a lot of growth for me around when I've developed the ability to start doing some of that and presenting projects and proposals, which at the time, I mean, it was really low tech. It was writing a thing, Mm -hmm. but it was capturing the right info in the right way for that audience. So you can offset a lot of deep technical experience by developing those softer skills, um, I think. So I try to get people thinking about it. I know it sounds weird, but the more, if you have a video camera at home, Mm -hmm. record yourself. Don't post, you don't have to post it or do anything to it, but if you want to, that's great. But recording yourself and trying to capture yourself and look at what you look like when you talk and how you interact and what you're trying to say and was it effective uh, I think that if I had had the notion of doing that 15 years ago, it would have made a big difference. It would have accelerated that growth for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of my 
comfort and uh, confidence came through being in front oh, of yeah. classes and talking to other people. So developing that, you were mentioning the community part. Remember friends that even if you don't have a user group in your town or you're, it's not safe for you to attend that right now, the online communities are something that were not around for me at all when I was mm. getting doing this. So sure. it really wasn't, it was just my immediate employee peers so not having those available caused a lot of duress. It meant I had mm -hmm. limited mentorship, limited reach for external support. Um, so those were big problems for me. Uh, the other big issues that I ran into had to do with work-life balance, which is really, right. really tricky in tech. There are so many mm -hmm. jobs where they will, I was on call for a long time and I, I got up in the middle of the night because an internet service oh, yeah. is out in Montana mm -hmm. or something, you know, and I have to like take care of that. And so it humbled me a lot and got, I felt that that burnt, learned some confidence, but I also realized the things I did not want to do and mm. try to move away from that. So there's, um, there was a lot of problems. The only other thing I would encourage people to consider too is um, make sure you definitely check your employment contracts, uh, specifically about things like what happens when you leave the position. And I know you start the thing and everything's all sunshine and roses, but uh, inevitably you probably will transaction transition out of those job roles. Um, what does that mean? I have had two different situations in which, um, my non-disclosures or, uh, non-compete agreements with other employers manifested in a bad way, um, later on. So just be careful. Like when you're signing those agreements, um, mm -hmm. I would also, uh, encourage people to consider, I did use a headhunting service at one point. I used Robert half technology. Um, I had a fantastic experience with it. They placed me uh, within like a week at the job that I had in Oregon for like six years. And it was awesome. It was a six month trial period. Um, but you have to watch the verbiage in the contract there, friends. When you're using those services, they're taking a portion of your pay as a part yeah. of the contract fee, which was a good trade-off if it's a good trade-off. So mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't tell people to avoid it, but be very careful about the verbiage that's in there. They're a great opportunity. I wouldn't do them for very long-lived engagements. Make sure you know what that cut's going to look like. That Make it a clean cut. Make sure you understand it well in advance. Yep. <laughs> um, the other one that happened was I actually had an employer who was a contractor of the same company I worked for who offered me a job, so I took it. And then the old job was like, that's conflict of interest. You can't hire him. So they actually cut me a severance package before I ever worked a single day. <laughs> um, it was a bit of a mess. But again, I wish I had, I should have been more careful about how I made that mm -hmm. transition. Mm -hmm. uh, and it required me to kind of dynamically react a different way. So <laughs> I, I encourage people to consider those, those employment agreements that they can be far reaching. And For sure. they tend to have more lawyers than I do. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gonna watch out. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Um, oh, those are some, some great stories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, knock on wood, I, I haven't had, um, such experiences and yeah, yeah. that would be, it'll be tense. I, I can already say that. Um, yeah. but yeah, as <laughs> Bot said, like, make sure you read, um, your employment contracts before like signing them and accepting your job offers. Yeah. Don't want to scare anybody. I'm just saying, you know, be oh, careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do your due diligence on it. <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So that is awesome. And what would you say is like one of the greatest things that you find working in tech now that you have worked for so many years? Sure. Um, well, going back to your note about niche and getting a little deeper 
Um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty solid approach to starting out. <clears throat> like I was saying, like it really, it took me 10 years working a bunch of different jobs to get to the point where I would feel comfortable calling myself an architect. Um, so if you're going to try to tackle that, that's eating the avalanche, my friends. You got to be careful. Mm -hmm. there. You're going to you're going to overwhelm yourself because there is plenty to learn. Um, but if you niche into data or operations uh, or development, or if you're ditching into security, um, mm -hmm. those are going to be areas where you can at least hone in on something that you can be good and valuable at to get into the organization that you want to be a part of. Um, and that's where the next question to your, the answer to your question is the, the flexibility for me is incredible. I have had an incredibly diverse amount of employers, contractors, um, job duties and technologies that I've gotten to work with. And it's all because of that, that cross platform, yeah. cross environment, you know, flexibility that you developed. And, and I can't really pin it down as anything. I, I didn't get it from any one place. It came mm. through all of that exposure. So I really value the flexibility of it. Uh, and I also really value the flexibility of IT in general, even if yeah. you're not in the cloud space per se, I think it is an incredibly um, versatile field. And as much as I hate to say it, if you, uh, English language is an interesting draw. I got a lot of overseas appointments because I was an English native speaker teaching mm -hmm. abroad. Uh, and they said they're American companies. These are American cloud providers that you're teaching us. So there was an interesting appeal there. If you have any bilingual abilities like that, that stuff is an incredible bookend mm -hmm. <laughs> to a technical and professional career. So um, not an overly technical thing, but something that still rounds you out as an interesting employer, uh, as an, an interesting sure. employee within the industry. So I encourage people to think about how they can bring some of that to the field right. as well. But yeah, versatility. If I I could go work for a lot of different companies now, doing a lot of different types of work, and I and I really appreciate that that flexibility. That's that's been a big yeah. Part. No, for sure. Yeah, especially now. I think like I just I was just sitting down and like I, I was having this talk with one of my managers at, at my current company on like what my five year kind of goal is, and I I always I don't know. I'm confused <laughs> right now because I'm so early, sure. right? I'm so early with my career right now that I, I can't even think of what my three-year goal is. Um, mm -hmm. Like I cannot pin it down. And the reason for that is because there's so much to explore and so much to learn yet that I cannot say, okay, I want to be, I don't know, let's say in InfoSex by, by five years. So yeah. I want to be in cybersecurity. Um, I want to be maybe a solutions architect for a FANG or whatever uh, big yeah. tech company. But I cannot say that because I don't know what I'll be exploring next year. Um, <laughs> and I think, I, and I'm happy with that because I do want to like pivot and do want to explore other things out because maybe I, I like them even more than what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And just having that flexibility, I think, I don't see that in any of the other fields as per, to my knowledge. Um, but yeah, that flexibility goes a long way, especially with like you are into technical training. So that is also one thing that I have considered and want to try out, especially okay. with like advocacy roles and DevRel coming in. Like there's a lot of hiring going on right now in DevRel and yeah. it's, it's a great position and it's a great uh, job if, if you are trying to gain those soft skills and also gaining that confidence when it comes to like public speaking and stuff 
And just yeah. going to your point that you made uh, that focus on soft skills too, like you need to, you need to know how to talk to your management. That'll take you a long way. Um, yep. And that was the entire reason why I started a YouTube channel and a blog in 2020 <laughs> is because I, I lacked that confidence when I talk to people. And this is not like strangers. These are my peers and my colleagues sure. and my manager. Um, <laughs> I, so I wanted to gain that confidence, even though I know stuff and I know things that I'm confident about. So whether it be some kind of architecture or some setting on proxies, but yeah. I couldn't delay it in a confident manner because I would have that feeling in mind. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel comfortable like speaking in front of like eight to 10 people uh, who are 10 years in the industry. And I would just have that feeling of like, you know, imposter syndrome that I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> always back in my head when speaking. Right. So yeah, make sure you, you know how to speak up for yourself and also like how you can deliver it accurately in management meetings or to your manager and to your peers, uh, that skill takes you a long way. And yeah, just like yeah. Pat said, you start recording yourself, like either stand in front of a mirror and try speaking or record yourself and like, see how you look in the camera. Don't, it doesn't have to be on YouTube. It can be a personal thing. Um, sure. yeah, there are like, I don't know. I recorded like 10 videos before posting the first one, which took me like six <laughs> months. Um, it, it, it is hard, but yeah. Like, once you start practicing, that's, that's how you learn. Right. Sure. Don't let the like tooling be the hurdle on it. Oh, just yeah. do it simple. Keep it, mm -hmm. even if you're just doing it on your phone, like recording yourself. I, 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 I kid you not friends. And if you talk to anybody who's into public speaking, they will all tell you that recording yourself and performing is the best way to do it. Now I am a musician and I do theater and stuff. And I've been doing that my whole life. So for me, getting on stage is a thing. I, I love to do it, but I know that that is not the same for everybody. And, and mm -hmm. recording yourself can be a really uh, important part of that. You know, and Rashad, one of the things that uh, I was just thinking this morning about uh, an old adage, people over process, over tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of reminded me of that advocacy and DevRel concept. Like those are technical positions, but they're also very, very people oriented. You are trying yep. to instill confidence and uh, excite uh, a community of individuals about a particular tool or service or a pattern. Okay. Um, and it really is people intensive. The more that you do, uh, mm -hmm. especially if you're getting to public speaking and when our conferences are like functional, like to its entirety again. Yeah. Those people skills, they're almost harder to get than the tools. Like we can get tools. We can, we can bring consultants in to do it for us, but having the right people on our team, it's still one of the hardest parts of working on these technical teams. So really reckon, recognize what your personal skills are that you bring to the table is often just as important as the technical parts. And I know we said that a little bit, but I just wanted to reiterate people yeah, over yeah. process over tools. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. People skills. Um, I've seen, I've seen hiring based off where people would be less technically competitive, but they were better at their soft skills and they were better as like how they interact with their teammates and they made yeah. the cut. Whereas yeah. there would be someone who is highly technical, but doesn't know how to work in a team, doesn't know how to work with people, would not make that cut. So yeah, those go a long way. And as Bart said, employers can teach you like 
technical skills can be taught, but just like have those people skills, have those soft skills, make sure you know how, like how to advocate for yourself and also how to present yourself will take yeah. you a long way. So things I'm excited about right now, Rashab, since you and I are we're here geeking out a little bit. Yep. Um, uh, I was telling you a little before, I, I'm working on a software program right now. It's it's making a map of the Jurassic Park map with mm -hmm. with like trying to replicate what it would be like to ma uh, map the dinosaurs throughout the park and track the fences and where all the tour vehicles are going. Um, so I've been playing with that, but I'm not really a software developer. So I was drawn to like, well, I hear you know, Amplify is a low code solution yep. or React is a low code solution. And I can do some of these um, low code tech. So that's kind of where I am right now where I'm like, okay, well, look, I'm an ops guy. I, I know all of these systems, mm -hmm. but you know, how do I make it do something cool? Like I know what I want my project to be. Yep. And I've basically gone through kicking the tires on a bunch of different low code, no code, template code, copy pasta yep. solutions where I've uh, I've got it together now and it's actually working pretty well and I'm and it's got me excited and I've and I'm doing more development than I ever did before. But nice. um I think that that speaks a lot to where the industry is going. You look at mm -hmm. like machine learning and the huge curve to understanding the algorithms versus um like Amazon has a tool called SageMaker that we have. It's yep. just a it's a whole bunch of simplifying elements. That's the whole <laughs> point. We don't want you to have to know as much of it to learn to use it. Um, and so I think that that's a really exciting place to be both for developers creating those solutions mm -hmm. and for the hybrid people like us who are doing ops, dev, DevOps type of work um, collectively together. Um, it's a whole new world of all of that opening up. And I think it's really exciting to see uh, where those foundational parts came from, how they grow along with it, and then how those big abstracted services grow on top of it. For um, sure. So those are things that are exciting for me. And of course, Everything around making stuff happen in real time is going to continue to be so hot. We need fast interactions at the edge. We need applications that are aware of global infrastructure. The yep. combination of what to put in the cloud versus put on the end device, it's still that that is still getting pushed back and forth everywhere throughout the industry. So um, all the classic fields are still hot. Networking is not dying. <laughs> Development is still hot as ever. Security is still going gangbusters. And all of them um, are highly automated with infrastructure mm -hmm. as code principles. So learning basic CID systems and source control is going to help you on all of those arenas. Uh, they've all become that much more developer tool friendly. So those are things I'm excited about and things I encourage people to look forward to. Um, you know, just to stay excited about it and stay moving in a direction if they're if sure. they're wondering where they should go. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that you're more excited about ML and like AI focused tools that would take over the traditional tooling that we have in place? Um, I was trying to use it as an example, but I think that above all else, organizations are still just barely on the cusp of mm -hmm. like the next generation of data realization. Mm -hmm. Um and so if you really want to be in an interesting field that will have a longevity, anything with data analytics and warehousing okay. tied to the ML and AI parts of it, because uh, remember, so warehousing and gathering, that's all of the create it, make it available, format it in the right ways. And then ML and artificial intelligence are more about that application of the data. Yep. What can we learn from it? How can we use it in the future? So those are the two sides of it. Um, we have really robust data sourcing now. The warehousing and data lakes that we're mm -hmm. building are getting better and better and bigger and bigger. Um, and on the other side, then we have our machine learning and AI processes that are becoming easier to use, more powerful, uh, better uh, 
equipped and easier to understand for organizations. There's a big gap between where businesses are today still and where they want to be and what those tools promise. So I think that's, again, a big pattern to look at. It reminds me of um, the early days of the internet. It reminds me of the mm -hmm. early days of voice over IP, of streaming media. It's that paradigm is on the horizon. Um, and if you can put yourself there, you're, you're going to be uh, infinitely more employable, at least. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, in the coming years, for sure. Um, yep. I just have some few, not they're not so personal questions, but just your personal preferences on um, devices that you use mm -hmm. daily and like your preferences on languages and stuff. So, and as we are moving towards the end of this episode, and I would love to do this again, uh, maybe oh, sure. like in a short period, but yeah. Um, what do you prefer? Like, do you prefer a Windows PC or a laptop, or would you prefer a Linux system, or are you a Mac person? Yeah, uh, this is always a fun conversation. So uh, I've been using Windows in Windows environments like pretty much mm -hmm. my whole career, but uh, about halfway through there, all of the workloads that I started supporting like moved into Linux. So. Yep. Uh, I got into supporting it and I was spending most of my time in shell environments supporting those sorts of solutions. So there was definitely a point in time where it went from, you know, what I was supporting was Windows to what I was supporting was Linux, but I still used Windows PCs and I ran a Windows shop and we had minimal mm -hmm. use of like Linux desktops. Very, we didn't really support Mac inclusion very much. On the flip side though, as a musician and an artist, I really should have been using Macs all this time. I mean, the tools that were out there for yeah. me to design and play with were like, like purpose built for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm a huge Adobe fan too. I use all the Illustrator and Photoshop right. stuff for my own personal art and design. Um, I use Premiere when I was doing video work. Um, these days, I find myself using AWS's Cloud9 IDE, their mm -hmm. web browser-based development environment. I have that open almost all day, every day. That's my text editor. Um, it has instances for development environments, yep. Amazon Linux tied in the background. I have all my command line stuff is there. Uh, most of my demos for class when I'm mocking things up, they're all built using Cloud9 environments oh, so that I can just switch from a step functions environment and go over here mm -hmm. and talk about Elastic MapReduce and then go over here and talk about serverless application model. Um, so I really love that. The other part of it for me is uh, I'm an Android user on my phone. Yep. Um, I've just, I've never been drawn enough to buying a Mac. Uh, and there was always enough of a price oh, barrier yeah. for me as a personal user. Yeah, if my company wasn't going to buy it for me, I wasn't going to buy one. Okay. Um, the last computer that I bought personally for myself, I bought at a pawn shop like about six months ago. <laughs> I was just okay. like cruising through. I was like, oh, this is a nice laptop. It's got a decent built-in graphics card. Mm -hmm. uh, works fine. I'd use that for streaming music at my house just for doing live performance of music. But nice. it's knowing like what you need, yep. the, mice, the price. I was just always able to get a better value return out of PCs than I was out of the idea oh, of buying sure. a Mac. So <laughs> that's where I've been and built a few PCs over the years as well. And they were just always more power for the money that I was putting in. Oh, yeah. Um, and I could support them. So I didn't mm -hmm. really need the ease of use that a Mac, like Offers, closed yeah. system Mac might offer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So that's my, well, that's, that's my spiel. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. So just... Going towards the end, this is the last question, I promise. <laughs> what oh, is okay. your what is your favorite language when it comes to programming or what is your go-to language? I know you might have used quite a while of them, but what is like your go-to? Sure. Um, well, my whole Jurassic map thing that I'm doing right now is all written in JavaScript. So I'm learning 
React and Node and mm -hmm. server side versus client side browser scripts. Those are all things that I'm doing the most right now. The only other one that I do regularly is Python. So I work with both of those. Nice. Um, I did a lot of .NET and Visual Basic back in my Windows domain mm -hmm. days. I used to customize SharePoint quite a bit. If I was still in an environment like that, um, I, I'm sure I would continue my .NET development parts of it. Um, but really, I think people should be code proficient. You don't have to learn these deep. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I don't ever write stuff from scratch. I, I try to mm -hmm. be able to interpret and understand what's being used, um, and understanding basic programming logic. You're going to find conditionals. You're going to yep. find fors. You're going to find looping. You're going to find um, mapping scenario. You're going to find that in all the different languages. So knowing what it's called and how to go find it mm -hmm. <laughs> has gotten me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the last thing I'd mention too is that I uh, I do a lot of infrastructure as code now. It's a big yep. part of working in the cloud environment. So I do, I'm happy switching between YAML and JavaScript object notation. I really am agnostic to either one of them at this point. I don't get deep in the conversations. I like that you can comment in YAML, mm -hmm. but I don't like, I don't find dealing with spaces and tabs any less frustrating than dealing That's with curly yeah, braces yeah. and semicolons. So I, I don't know, it's fine. And if your IDE is helping you, then all of these problems usually go away yes, anyways. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've had my love and hate for both YAML and JSON, but yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. and with AWS, you will always come back to JavaScript object notation. Yeah. There will always be places where they just don't offer the YAML flavor mm -hmm. of it yet. So you're going to end up seeing both of them. Um, so I, I try to get proficient and able to work in both, <laughs> so be able to use them both. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was it was really nice to chat with you and get to know a little more about your kind of a tech journey and the path you have been uh, for the past years. But yeah, no, I think you definitely jumped into some great, great suggestions and advices for people who are starting out. Um, is there anything you would like to say to the audience or also any last advice that you would have uh, or a suggestion that you would like to give out? Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, one thing you should definitely be doing is following Rashab and all of the cloud community out there on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, find yourself a community that you're drawn mm -hmm. to. There's a whole bunch of flavors of them. Um, sure. If you're not sure where to start, hit me up, hit Rashab up. We will definitely steer you to other folks to start learning from. Um, and maybe that'll help you guide those experiences. And who knows, you know, a couple months, a year or two, maybe you'll be on these calls chatting about your tech journey. I mean, that's what For makes sure. us who we are. So we would yep. love to hear about that. And um, of course, reach out. I try to offer as much mentoring as I can. I have a backlog of <laughs> Twitter DMs right now I need to dig through. But um, I really try to encourage people to look at that. Uh, and beyond that, friends, just uh, just be active in the community. I think that's going to keep you excited mm -hmm. about what you're doing in the long term. It, because then it stops being about you and the tech. It starts being oh, about yeah. you and the community. And I think that's infinitely more fun and and lucrative in the end. Uh, beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter at CloudBart. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, CloudBart there as well. And I'm on LinkedIn as well, Bart Castle. Hope to see you all out there in the cloud sometime. Thanks yeah. for showing. And I'll have the links in the description on Spotify. And you can also find this episode on YouTube. So yeah, no, thanks a lot, CloudBart. And we'll hopefully see you soon on another <laughs> episode. That's awesome, Rashad. Thanks, my friend. Thank you.